Hi, this is Carrie Spaulding, the 30-something coach, and I'm here today talking with Cliff Stevens about his career transition from finance, banking, and investments to software technology and entrepreneurship. Cliff, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about the beginning of your career journey. Yeah, the beginning started uh, after graduation from college, and I got a degree in finance and economics, and my first job out of college was as a uh, stockbroker. The first thing I had to do was move to Charlotte to get a job with a little company called Oldie Discount Stockbrokers. I passed the tests, which gave me my license, which allowed me to sell. And um, I, w I worked for Oldie Discount, then I worked for Prudential Securities, then I worked for First Union Brokerage, doing the stock brokerage thing. And so that was my first career experience, was all in uh, financial advisory and investment sales, basically. So when you started out, what, what led you down that path? Um, I just remember from being a, a young kid, always being interested in business. I mean, I was the guy who was with my family on the beach reading Fortune and Forbes magazine, and everyone else was you know, looking at other stuff. <laughs> um, I was just always interested in the stories behind businesses and what it was that people were doing that was different and successful, and I just liked that. And I always was looking at the, um, the the pages in the newspaper where you could look at stock prices and what they were doing. And I was always trying to pick the stocks that were going to do well. And I did that as a teenager just for fun. And so that was my interest. My dad was in the insurance industry, and part of what you have to do in insurance is invest the premiums that are coming in, so that when there's a claim, you have money to pay the claim. And so he was always thinking from an investments perspective, and it just rubbed off on me. And so that's just where my interest was. So you had an affinity even from childhood for for the stock markets and for you know the financial industry, although you might not have been thinking of it at that point Absolutely. in that quite that way. And I'm curious, how fulfilled were you once you were in that field? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was, let's say, surprised to find out that what I ended up doing was very different than what I thought I was going to be doing. I really loved thinking about the stock market and looking at charts and graphs and trying to pick the stocks that were going to do well. That was what was fun for me. What I found out was that the job of a stockbroker is not that. I mean, that is... That's, you use those things to tell your story when you're trying to uh, create a portfolio for somebody that makes sense, but the ultimate goal is for you to sell them something. And so I made 200 to 300 phone calls a day just trying to get in touch with someone who I could sell them something to. You know, I could sell something to them, a stock, mutual fund, bond. So this, this thing that you loved doing organically... It, in this career, it ended up being a means to an end, yeah. rather than the end itself. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we spent we spent mornings in the office going over a handful of stocks that maybe 15, 20 minutes where we would practice pitching them. But that's what it was. You would just it was just a sales story, and so then you just get on the phone and make a million phone calls <laughs> and hope that someone has some money for you to sell them something. And so um, it was just it's a sales job. And um, that was very difficult for me because that's not what I wanted to do. And I don't think I'm necessarily a natural salesperson. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're in your early 20s and you're trying to tell someone who's in their 50s who spent their whole life saving their money, you know, you're advising them on something that they should buy with that money that is supposed to provide them with security and um, 
you know, abundance as they enter retirement, and I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> so it sounded like it sounds like you you felt a sense of like an imposter, right? You yeah. know, I'm in this role and I'm sort of playing at it, but it yeah. didn't feel authentic. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. So at some point you you clearly made a shift. So tell me a little bit about how the wheels got in motion for that. Yeah, so yeah, I was doing brokerage then. Uh, to get away from that, I went into bank trading operations. So I was on the operations side of the investment business. My job was to make sure that municipal bonds, when they were bought and sold by broker dealers and banks, that those trades settled and that the bonds were delivered and the money was delivered. And I basically just looked at reports and the computer screen to make sure that happened. I did that for two years too. And that was, I mean, it was a steady job and it was, uh, it wasn't sales. So that was good, but it got really boring. And um, I tried brokerage again and uh, in the meantime moved from where I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina down to Charleston, South Carolina. So my wife and I could be by the beach and that was the whole goal of going down there and I could transfer within the bank to stay employed and do the investments thing, the bank operations thing. But there came a point when I finally realized I was just not going to go anywhere in this world of finance investments what, what was it that you weren't getting or where was it that you weren't going to go? You yeah. know, what was missing? After that, that third try at being a stockbroker, that's when I realized, look, I don't like the, the operations side of this business. I don't like the sales side of this business. I'm just not going to do the, the trading side because that's just like super stress kind of a job and not the easiest thing in the world to get. You've got to be cutthroat to be good in, as a trader. And so that's when I realized, you know, the, the, the parts of this business that I know, I'm just not, I don't want to do it anymore, and I'm not necessarily doing very well at it, so I need to find something else. And uh, that was a really scary time, because, um, you know, I spent my, my uh, adolescence dreaming of doing exactly the things that I was trying to do, and then having gone out there and tried them, and not being able to do them... Um, yeah, I mean, I was questioning everything about myself. My, my degree, I was wondering why the heck I even did finance and economics. Um, what was it? What was wrong with me? You know, why couldn't I sell? Why did I not like the operation job? You know, yeah, it was challenging. So I had to find something else. And, and, and um, so, you know, it, it, how disillusioning to be... To almost have that security, it's sort of a magical security when you're young and you you like, I've got it all figured out, right? I know my mission, I know my path. Yeah. And to have that sense of security that you sort of naturally had, right? You hadn't gone through a lot of soul searching early on. Right. Have that, it's like having the rug pulled out from under you and saying, okay, you know, now, oh, now what? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, would, I would say that's a good way of putting it. The rug was, cert- was certainly being pulled out from underneath me. And it wasn't like... Um, anyone else was doing this to me. I mean, if I had set my mind to it, I could have done sales. You know, I could have stayed in the operations side of the business. I could have been successful in those roles, but I just wasn't happy doing it. And I wasn't, I didn't have a natural affinity to it where I saw other people who did, you know? And so that's when I realized I, I need to find something else where I have a natural affinity and I actually enjoy what I'm doing and I can have some success at it. And the software technology thing just, it was amazing how it happened because it wasn't, um, I didn't set out to do that. Um, I was actually talking to a lot of different people about their careers. I went and sat in on a, 
on a dentist appointment because I thought I might want to be a dentist. <laughs> I, I was uh, talking to pharmacists to see what their job was like. I talked to some people in architecture. It was really getting the bills paid in the interim. <laughs> that was the big deal. And so I, I just took some temp jobs. You know, I was still in my early, uh, mid-20s, early 20s. So um, I had skills that I could use to stay employed. And I just went to some temp agencies and got some jobs while I was looking for what it was I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. You know? so, <laughs> and then you felt really comfortable reaching out and just asking, going going to, I love the new spin on the informational interview, going to a dentist appointment. Yeah. Right. You know, I I was just trying to figure out what it was. And I, I could, I just knew to explore the things that I knew about. And so everyone goes to a dentist and I thought, well, that can't be a very bad life. I think they do pretty well and might be interesting. Then I went to an appointment almost passed out when I saw my dentist <laughs> cracking someone's tooth open and ripping it out of their jaw. So I decided that wasn't for me. Um, and that's just how I went about it. Um, I, I did temp work to keep the jobs, uh, to keep the bills paid. And um, I heard about a company in Charleston that a lot of people were saying was doing very well and was growing and um, people liked working there. And the name of the company was Blackbaud. And so I was starting to build some technology skills on my own, just, uh, I don't know, Microsoft Office or something. I thought maybe there's something there I can do. And um, I got an interview and um, I got a job. And I got a job as a, um, a data conversion specialist. And I had never worked with databases before. <laughs> uh, I worked with Excel spreadsheets. But that was my day job. And so that allowed me to take classes at night because at that point, after doing some temp work and getting the day job at Blackbaud, I was taking pre-med classes at night because I thought I was going to do something in medicine. I thought it was going to be pharmacy or... Actually, actually, I think that's what I had decided on at that point was pharmacy. It seemed pretty... I didn't have to see a whole lot of blood in pharmacy. <laughs> Which after the dentist sounded... Yeah. <laughs> Anything in medicine, as long as I don't have to see blood, is what I was after. <laughs> That's what you put on your objective, yeah. on your resume. <laughs> that was my, uh, my career statement, yeah. <laughs> and so, I, something I'm, I'm hearing sort of across the board is that you you were able to, to make some choices to take care of yourself, to kind of, you know, keep the bills paid, keep keep yourself on a certain foundation mm -hmm. while doing some of the bigger work of transition. Yep. And, you know, it's not necessarily identifying yourself with this day job, but really being clear on like, this is what this day job is for. This day job is going to take care of me financially while I go to school. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Um, and that's part of, change in life is being able to look at what you have to do now in order to reach that longer term goal. And so at that point in life, it was, I've got bills to pay, so I need to do something. And so I worked, I, I did uh, collections for a hospital and I did um, like some bookkeeping stuff for some plumbing supply company. I don't know, I did a bunch <laughs> of different stuff. It didn't matter, you know, as long as I got a paycheck, that's what I was shooting for. And then I could take classes at night. And then the the job at Blackboard happened, and that was really the turning point. That was a major turning point in my life because that day job um, turned into my new passion. And when I spoke earlier about my affinity for something and my ability to, to be successful at something, 
that's when something clicked. When you know, my main objective was to have a steady job so I can go to classes at night, but I turned out loving that, that day job. And I took probably th- maybe two or three semesters worth of pre-med classes at um, community college in Charleston. And, you know, I was doing anatomy and microbiology and physiology and that kind of stuff. And I was, <laughs> I was doing it, but I could tell it still was not the thing I was supposed to be doing. But meantime, during the day, I was loving my work at Blackboard. And so after a few semesters of uh, night classes in pre-med, I dropped that and just really focused on my job at Blackboard. And I, I did really well, and I learned how to do some programming, and I became... Um, I started traveling and doing consulting for the company and learned all kinds of new stuff. And so that was the beginning of my new career trajectory, uh, trajectory in software technology. And so you found this, this job that you sort of took thinking this is just going to be a foundation, take care of me, ended up being the thing that you yep. that really clicked with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I knew that I uh, enjoyed working with computers. I mean, back then it was... The internet was starting to happen. <laughs> you know, this is '98 uh, when I got uh, got the job at Blackboard, and that was right, kind of when the dot com thing was taking off. I was very interested in what was happening, and so here I am working for a software technology company when the whole dot com thing was happening. It was a really exciting time, and um, I got recruited away from Blackboard to work for a dot com in Charleston. And, um, again, I was doing a job for them that I'd never done before. It was software quality assurance. And so I learned that on the job. And then I learned um, database administration. And I was a junior DBA. And then I was a business analyst and helping the business side understand the, what the developers were doing. And so I learned all these different skills working for a, a dot-com. And what made that all work for you that wasn't working for you in your earlier work, you know, when you, when you were doing the financial stuff and feeling like this is totally not what I am supposed to be doing or what I thought I would be doing. Right. Um, The investments stuff, the end goal was to make money in that career. And it was to make money for the people whose money you're investing for them. And it was to make money for yourself and your branch that you're working for your boss and everything. And that was really the end goal. Whereas in, in technology, you're, you're building something. I mean, every day, you can walk away from your computer and you've created something that does something. You know, you can show that to somebody. <laughs> and um, that's, that's when I, I really fell in love with that whole environment, that whole thing that, thing that we were doing every day was building something cool and brand new and didn't exist before. And we could show it to people and it could actually do what we're showing to them. And So there's um, a tangibility, yeah. you know, a, a, a sense of like, look, I made this and it does stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And also there's collaboration too. I worked on a team of uh, software quality assurance analysts, you know, and the whole environment was very exciting and uh, it was a collaborative environment and everyone had big dreams about what the company was going to do. And so that was exciting. Everyone was just having fun. And um, I was actually learning to do things that I was relatively good at. And so that helped too. So it was an exciting time and then it blew up, you know, (laughs) So late 90s was great to be in technology. <laughs> Early 2000s, not so much. You know, um, So the company I was working for, the first dot-com, the money ran out. And um, I don't know how much money they burned through, but it was millions. And 
um, they shut the doors. It was my one year anniversary. They came in and shut the place down, fired me, oh. fired my whole team. They led the the owner out of the building with a security guard, you know, locked his office. It was it was a weird time. So then again, you know, I was in a position where I had to figure out what to do next. And, and what I'm just curious what that was like for you, because you had sort of you had thought you knew what you want to do and it wasn't that and then you you did a lot of exploring and you it seems like you had kind of landed somewhere that felt like a really great fit so what was that like for it to be again (laughs) kind of the rug pulled out right or the door closed yeah it was uh, it was kind of scary I got maybe one or two months of unemployment that I took so that I could have a little bit of time to figure out what I was going to do next this was also when people were day trading having come from a whole education and finance and economics and having done brokerage sales and brokerage operations. And, um, I thought, okay, well there's a day trading thing. Maybe I can do that. So I tried that after working for home account. And I, I studied, read a ton of books. I, I took four months really to, um, just read everything I could find about trading. And so then I, I had a little bit of seed money and I traded. It was April of 2000 that I was doing that. I think that was, and the market crashed. It, it, it just imploded. I lost, <laughs> so all my money that I was trading just disappeared. I'm feeling very protective of you in this story. You know, I'm <laughs> noticing that come up. It's like, oh, you know, our hero <laughs> foiled again. Yes, foiled again. Uh, so yeah, the, the market just imploded. And obviously I wasn't the only one who lost a bunch of money in it, but uh, I gave it a shot for a few months, and I was on the wrong side of the market. I was buying stuff, expecting prices to keep going up, and they were not. You know, for years, they just kept going up. Well, they, they didn't, and so um, my foray into trading didn't work. And so then, um, during that, this whole time, I met my wife, and she also happens to come from a uh, systems engineering background. And so she and I were both in Charleston. The trading thing didn't work out. We're like, you know, our relationship was starting to get serious, and um, we ended up moving back to Philly, which is the area where I'm originally from, um, because we both wanted to continue our careers in technology, and me trying to figure out what that next thing in technology would be. So we moved back up to Philly, and I found another uh, .com to work for. Again, doing stuff I didn't really know how to do, but I taught myself on the job, and um Ended up being pretty good at it, and I was there until the bitter end. The same story, you know. This was a company that was caught up in that transition of everything going nuts and gangbusters and money being thrown at anything to investors pulling back, you know, on ideas that could have been really successful, but the, the environment changed. I was thinking, look, I've been through two dot-coms. They both ran out of money. Maybe I should do my own thing. And so I started building my own product. I had an idea. I, I'm a racket sports guy. Like, I love squash. I played tennis since I was a little guy. And I picked up racquetball in college. And so I'm just a racket sports guy. And I, I had this idea of taking some of the, um, the code that we built in, at BidTrack where I was working. You're a member. You go to the racket sports club website. You see a court. You click on it, reserve a time, and then you find someone to play with. And you go, you know play on the court. So I, I built that system. It was called mymatchtime.com. While I was working on that, um, I needed to pay the bills. So I got a job at another .com. This is the third .com. This was apartmentsolutions.com here in Philly. And they were doing basically what BidTrack was doing except for apartment rentals. I was actually in, in over my head a little bit in that job. 
Um, but really, same story all over again, uh, like nine months down the road. Um, you know, they were growing like crazy, hiring telephone reps and uh, opening new offices, and then they lost their funding. The company went out of business. And so um, that's when I realized, look, I, I've been through this three times now with startups. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern with yeah. startups. <laughs> I figured if I'm going to work, if I'm going to be involved in a startup, which I enjoy the technology side of it, um, I can do this myself. And so I, I kept working on my, my matchtime.com and finished that and started marketing it and had a, a couple of clubs who were looking at licensing it and you know, it was going through all those contract negotiations and everything. And I just realized that they were coming back to me with a lot of stuff that needed built that I just wasn't capable of doing myself. Meanwhile, I was running out of money. So my matchtime.com, even though it was, uh, it was something that I built myself and I believed in, I, I just wasn't in a position to take it where it needed to go. And so, um, yeah, so what happened then? Well, oh, I know. How do you yeah. make that decision to to step back from something that you care about. You know, you said it wasn't, it wasn't kind of equipped to go where it needed to go. Yeah. Um, something a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, face at one point or another. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I don't have the, the perfect way of describing how you make that decision. You just, I mean, every, everyone's situation is different, whether it's your relationships, your, uh, your money situation, your drive, your dreams, your skills, you know, all those things are different for everybody. And so everyone has to make that decision themselves. And I just realized that it, what I was doing wasn't going to happen fast enough for me to make a living out of it. And so I just had to shelve that. But I did pick up enough skills in all these different jobs that I did with different startups and having built my own software that I could go out and kind of rent myself out as an independent. So I just got a bunch of certifications so that I could just become a consultant and just help other businesses and people. And you had, by this point, you had seen, you had experienced so many different environments and, and you know, your skill set was just sort of huge and diverse. Yeah, very wide but not very deep. Which you know can work very well in a lot of situations, and so um, I started putting myself out there as an independent IT consultant. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? How do I build a clientele? You know, when you're on your own, that's one of the scariest things: is how do you get the business? And so um, I just started looking for different things going on here in, in Philadelphia that I could apply myself to. And I didn't want to work for a, a company again; I wanted to be on my own. So I started volunteering at an organization called the Arts and Business Council of Philadelphia. And they had a brand new program called Technology Connectors. And they basically needed exactly the kind of person that I was at that point, which was the person who is not necessarily a hardcore coder or, you know, uh, a senior project manager or anything, but someone who could go into any kind of environment and fix stuff and get things to work. And I was good at that. So um, I became like this star volunteer consultant for Technology Connectors and actually won the Volunteer of the Year Award in, um, whatever that was, 2005, 2006, something. But through that, I did a lot of volunteer work, but actually built my book of clientele because I would go in and I would help an organization and they'd be like, wow, you're really good. Would you want to stay on longer and could we pay you? And of course, I would say yes. And um, so that's how I got gigs. I, so I, volunteering purely, you know, you were purely there as a volunteer, ended up actually 
be opening a lot of doors for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Great little story was um, one of the, the volunteer projects that the Technology Connectors put me on was just to go help someone with their laptop. It like blue screened. You know, this is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone at a museum had a laptop and they couldn't get it to boot. And so I went to the museum. It was, you know, after hours. And so they were impressed that I was even there after business hours. And for me, it was no big deal because I was on my own. I could work whenever I wanted to. Um, I went and I fixed their laptop. And they were just so thrilled. They're like, well, can you work on servers and our computers? And I was like, yeah, I can work on that stuff. Next thing you know, I'm practically full time there. <laughs> you know, I'm, not a paid, I'm not a salaried employee, but I was there three to five days a week. Uh, sometimes on weekends working, charging my hourly rate, you know, and then I would do go, I would go do some other volunteer work when I could. And, um, I got other clients just through word of mouth and being contacted by recruiters. And I was loving all of this. It was, I was doing exactly what I was good at doing, which is working, helping people with their computer problems and creating, you know, very specific software that was helping them solve problems. And so that's what I did for a couple of years. And I was my own IT guy. And that was my company, my own IT guy. Name. And so I did that for and a while. And, you know, it, it's, it seems to me also kind of thinking back and picturing you in the financial industry, one thing that stands out about sort of all these environments where you're seeming to thrive and feel really engaged is like the FaceTime with yeah. people. That you're really there either collaborating on a team or one-on-one being, you know, my IT guy. Yeah. I'm curious how important that ends up being for you to sort of have that engagement with other humans. It is to a point. Uh, I would not want to be on the phone as a customer service rep all day long, that kind of thing. Uh, But I really do being, I really do enjoy being with people and I'm better in a one-on-one environment than I am in a one-on-many environment. Mm -hmm. Though I I can do presentations and public speaking, all that kind of thing. But I really like helping individual people with their problems and with um, computer troubleshooting and fixing things. A lot of times that's what it was. You know, a particular person couldn't get a window to do what they wanted it to do. They couldn't get the printer to work. And so I had a very specific problem. They were in pain. (laughs) They couldn't do what they needed to do and I could solve that problem. And one of my differentiators was that I wasn't a systems engineer. I didn't go to school and I wasn't trained as someone who sat in front of the computer all day and wrote code. So I developed softer skills mm-hmm. that um, actually were many times absent from the people that were being hired to do these kinds of jobs. You know, they were technology people. They weren't really people people. And so that was one thing that I think um, helped me then was that I liked working with people and liked solving the problem so I wasn't condescending towards them and that was different mm-hmm. um, and so it was good for them it was good for, good for me and um, so yeah that's what I did for a while just on my own doing I was my own IT guy my own IT guy yeah. and um, so I did that for a while and then in 2006 uh, my wife and I decided well, my wife is from Bolivia. She grew up in Germany. She's from Bolivia. I was always envious of all the travels that she did in her job, and we wanted to do that on our own, but not for work. And so I convinced her to take a leave of absence from her corporate job. And 2006, we just um, 
packed up and hit the road and we flew over to Europe and we just backpacked all through Europe the first half of 2006. And so it, it was an awesome, awesome time. I made sure that my clients were taken care of. I actually uh, you know, I wrapped up some of my engagements and um, put my clients in touch with other technology support people so that they were taken care of while I was away. And you know, we were able to make it work. It was a fantastic experience. And then when we came back uh, 2007, um, I convinced my wife to quit her job when she was supposed to go back um, and come work with me. And so, and so, um, what made you? What was? What made you want to do that? You know, the travel, thing the convincing, the convincing, right? Thing. Yeah, because <laughs> um, we spent a whole year living on the road together in very close quarters, and it was awesome. I mean, we just had the best time together, and I wanted more of that, and. Working together seemed like the way to do that. And she comes from a, a systems engineering software technology background. And I thought, she's got this skill set. She's got this deep expertise in, in this SAP software. There's got to be something we can do that combines what I've been doing for a couple of years and doing well at and what she's been doing. And it just it's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to work together and have that flexibility. Whereas if she was working, if she continued in the corporate job, then every day she'd have to get on the train, go to work, sit in an office. And I wouldn't see her until six o'clock at night, you know? And, I mean, and she, that was a hard jump from living together and traveling all over the place. And... Yeah. Big difference from, you know, waking up together in a hostel in um, Finland <laughs> reporting to a cube on market street. And it strikes me that, um, by this point, you had made so many leaps and jumps and always kind of come out on, you know, standing strongly on your two feet. Yeah. That by this point, you had learned about yourself that you could do that. I'm yeah. curious sort of how all the jumping impacted your your sort of sense of confidence in yourself yeah. or your... Well, I'll tell you, it, I'm always questioning it. It's not like... Your confidence is something that you acquire as an object and then you can take with you everywhere. And it is a perfect. Yeah. You got it. No, it's not that at all. At least it hasn't been for me. In fact, I question it every single day and I, I work hard at maintaining it. It's not something that just takes care of itself. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing, you, but like anyone else, you figure things out. And when you're in a situation where you need to do something and you want something, then you figure out how to do it. And that's just been my, my pattern, you know. And other people do that in jobs. I do it in transition. So we, we basically, when we decided to work together, um, my, own IT get, my own IT guy became the IT staffing company. Um, and instead of going out and doing hands-on uh, computer support, I was doing... Um, recruiting with my wife. And so we were building a clientele of companies who needed to hire people with SAP software skill sets. And so um, we were able to, to get some clients who had jobs that needed filled, and we filled a bunch of those jobs and actually made some pretty decent money at it. Um, software, SAP software people get paid a lot of money, and um, we got a fraction of that every time we filled a job. And so we did that for a while, and... Um, then the, you know, the economic crisis of 2008, 2009 happened and companies just stopped hiring. You know? So we were in the business of helping companies hire people. So when they stopped hiring, we kind of ran out of business. So uh, I knew it was going to be a temporary thing. You know, recessions always are. So I started building a, um, a niche job board called everysapjob.com. 
in the interim, I actually ran the Technology Connectors Program for the Arts and Business Council for a six-month contract. So that was my, my day job while I was building EverySAPJob.com because the IT staffing thing just got slow. So I built EverySAPJob.com, and while I was finishing that up was when my wife and I were on this trip. What happened was we were, in the, we were driving in Cape Cod, and we were driving up to P-Town, Provincetown. And it was like this nasty day. The weather was bad. We were listening to the car radio. Music was terrible. And we were being assaulted <laughs> by commercials that were just, you know, awful. And I thought I would really just prefer to listen to the music that I like. And instead of hearing commercials, hear interesting information about all these amazing places that we were driving by. You know, there was gorgeous. All these little villages by the coast and um, lots of history. And we were just flying by them. Thought there's got to be an app that will let me play my music and interrupt me every once in a while with some interesting audio soundbite you know, about something that we were driving by. Um, when we got back from that trip, I started looking for an app to do that, and there wasn't one. And I thought, well, does that does that mean that it's just not possible because the technology wouldn't allow someone to build an app that did that? And so I I, I gave a pitch at Indie <laughs> Hall, where I'm a member, uh, during show and tell made these cheesy videos, you know, just showing me walking around the city, listening to my music, and then being interrupted <laughs> by an audio about the Rocky statue or something. And anyways, people really liked the idea, and they said, um, you, you need to do something with this. So I uh, decided to find someone online who could write some code, and uh, found a guy overseas, and we built a really, really basic prototype just to see if we could trigger audio on the iPhone when I came within a certain distance of a latitude and longitude, longitude on the map. And we could. Then the next step was, well, could we do that while also putting whatever music I'm listening to on hold, hear that audio that's triggered by a latitude, longitude, and then go back to the music I was listening to without me having to do anything. And we built it, and it worked. So um, we just kept iterating. So that was uh, the the end of 2010, and I was still working on EverySAPJob.com. I finally got that launched. At the same time, I started playing with this whole Locodote idea. And then people started... Locodote's the name of yeah, Locodote this is, application. Exactly. Um, as everyone knows, it's really hard to find domain names anymore. <laughs> so I had to invent a word. Uh, and I just used the words local and anecdote, mashed them together. And that became the word. Locodote, which ended up becoming a company. So we launched the Locodote app for iPhone in the Apple in the Apple App Store in the spring of 2011. Yeah, 2011. And um, a bunch of people found out about it and uh, wanted to pitch in and help. And I ended up forming a company that's, that summer and just uh, reached out to a whole bunch of organizations locally to get content. And uh, worked with GPTMC and the Mural Arts and uh, Association of Philadelphia Tour Guides and Nancy Gilboy. And, uh, you know, it was just one after another where organizations were willing to either create or publish their existing audio content to Locodote. And we just kept building and kept updating the app and built a mobile web app and built the site. And um, so that's where, it, I mean, today we're still proving it out, the, the business model. And um, it's taking a long time, <laughs> longer than I expected, but um, we are making progress and exciting stuff is happening. Um, 
So, and so, so you have you have had quite a journey, lots of stops along the way, and and I get the sense from you that you're a journeyman, right? You're going to be going and, and moving yeah. forward. And I'm I'm curious, you know, how do you think looking back? How do you think all of the jumping? All of the different experiences you had prepared you for where you are now, or how has that served you in a way that maybe you couldn't see along the way, along yeah. the path? I guess it has enabled me to handle uncertainty maybe a little bit better than some people. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm good at it. It's just that I've, I've experienced it, so it's not foreign to me. Um, whereas I think a lot of people believe that, um, maybe I'm wrong about this, but that there, there is that one thing that they're supposed to be doing with the rest of their life in a job. And I, my experience has been that's not the case. For other people, maybe it is. And that gives them a sense of purpose and meaning and accomplishment. You know, um, In my life, it's been about change and transition and figuring things out and doing something new and when it doesn't work, moving on. You know, And so I guess I'm, I'm somewhat equipped to deal with transition maybe better than some other folks, but um, that's just been my experience. I, I wouldn't say that that's right for other people. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the things that I've picked up is dealing with that transition with and that uncertainty. uncertainty. Yeah. So what is the best choice that you think you've made for yourself? Best choice? Definitely traveling in Europe in 2006 <laughs> was the best choice. That was so much fun. Um, the best choice has been to, to choose to believe in myself and to equip myself when I needed to uh, learn things in order to be able to earn a living. So um, when the whole technology thing happened, my first job in technology was with Blackboard in 1998. Uh, my mind was set on doing something else. You know, that's why I was taking classes at night. But that day job turned into this new thing that I that I love. So, um, I guess being open to what happens instead of having such such a defined um, idea of what needs to happen. Being open to what happens and allowing it to happen. If it feels good, go with it. You know, I, I guess that would be one of the biggest things is to find out what it is that feels good and keep doing that and keep keep improving yourself in whatever that is. So for me, it, it became software technology. And so I was, I was I, it felt good. I enjoyed it. And so I wanted to get better at it. And I think that's really, those are the, the three key, three key things, you know, find something that feels good, get better at it and keep doing it. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like go with your gut, right? You've got a really strong, and yeah, clear, clear intuition and, and gut. Yeah, uh, your your intuition is uh, a really powerful thing. A lot of times we, again, we're socialized not to give in to it or to, to not allow it because we think that we're supposed to do what someone else has laid out for us and that that is what su success is, is following the rules that are laid out for us. But... If you um, go with your intuition and believe that there is infinite abundance, then you know, there's a lot of opportunity for you out there. And so your intuition will a lot of times lead you down the path that is the path that is the right one for you. Your career transition doesn't have to be 
this difficulty, this unwanted disruption. It is. It can be a brand new door that's open for you that takes you someplace where you never thought that you wanted to go, but actually is exactly the direction you're supposed to be going in. So look at it as an opportunity instead of uh, a challenge or a, a difficulty. I guess that's the biggest thing in the scope of what we're talking about. Such such great advice for people listening out there who are on the verge or, or in the muck. Thank you so much, Cliff. It's yeah, been sure. so inspiring, and, and thank you for sharing your story. This is Carrie Spaulding, the 30-something coach. For more stories and resources to help you in your own transition, visit www.carriespaulding.com.